This is the Mulligans Podcast, a real estate podcast focused on the duo. We created this podcast to share the stories of real estate individuals who have built their business from the ground up or have lost everything and are working to get it back. I'm Hayden Wright. I'm Austin Cole. And And we we are your hosts. On today's show, we have Adam Lacey, a father, husband, real estate investor, and engineer on a mission to get the most out of life. Listen closely to hear how he went from doing live-in flips to being a GP in over 300 units. Let's get into today's show. Adam, we appreciate you being on the show, man. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be with you guys. Absolutely. So let's just get right on into it. So if you don't mind, would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Sure. A little background. Um, Grew up in Michigan, ended up getting a degree in civil engineering, moved out to Denver actually for a job back in 2011, Um, proceeded to work as a design engineer, Um, never liked it. So that that was right from the beginning, knew I always kind of wanted to to do something else, but didn't know what that was. um, Meanwhile, you know, the real estate, you know, right after the, let's see, like I said, I moved out here in 2011. So Okay. You know, I was here a year or two and things really started to escalate, right? 2012, 2013. Thought, well, you know what? I don't know what we're going to do long term, but my wife really wanted to buy a house just to buy a house. And I was like, well, I don't know what we're going to do long term. However, you know, the real estate things kind of, things are climbing here. I mean, it, it seems like it can be a horrible idea just to buy real estate, even if we only live in it for a few years, maybe we can make a couple grand and and go wherever we're going to go. And you know, that ended up working out pretty well for me. So, you know, just nothing too crazy. We just, but we ended up buying a fixer upper um, just to try to get even more juice in the deal and fixed it up while we lived in it, sold it after a couple of years, moved to the same thing again, you know, just bought a couple fixer uppers and flipped them up or uh, fixed them up while we lived in them and went from there. Meanwhile, I'm still working my engineering job, not liking it. Um, can't figure out what the heck I want to do with my life. Right. <laughs> and, and then it dawned, you know, so I start going through all these different ideas. I'm looking at buying franchises. I'm looking at this and then the other, and I stumble onto bigger pockets and it's the aha moment, right? It's like, Oh, I already kind of like real estate. I've already actually made money in real estate. Why don't I see if I can pursue this as a career? Cause it, it provides me energy and I enjoy it. And, and people make a lot of money doing that. Maybe I can too. And so that kind of uh, started me down the, down the real estate journey there. Wow. We, so I guess we seem to interview a lot of people with engineering backgrounds, uh, myself included, um, not Hayden, but uh, what do you think that, do you think that has had an effect on your uh, real estate thus far? Or that's a good question. I think there's definitely aspects of my uh, real estate background that are definitely helpful, you know, um, as far as running numbers and analyzing deals and, and, you know, spent some time in project management. And actually I, a few years back transitioned from the design engineering world into more of a construction management role. Um, So that piece of it helps a lot because I'm dealing with, you know, dealing with contractors on a regular basis, putting together budgets and scopes and, and just managing progress or, or, or projects, sorry. And, um, you know, dealing with issues as they arise, just as, as we all do as real estate investors doing rehabs and things like that. So that helped. Um, as far as if your question is like, does engineering push you into real estate in some way? I, I don't know. Um, I think, you know, maybe 
just because we're all used to running numbers, we start, you know, looking at things and it's maybe it's easier for engineers to prove things out to themselves when they can see the numbers in black and white. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I can- yeah. I think you guys are just smarter than the other marketing majors like myself. I mean, I don't Austin's, know. I don't know, man. I think it's, it's, very- it's definitely the boring office life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So what, what did you not like about your engineering job? And are you still, are you still working there? So I, um, I do still have a W2 job. It's I, but I've moved, like I said, I kind of moved out of the design engineering world. I was designing like storm sewers and and actually doing a lot of stream restoration work and stuff like that, which seemed pretty cool until you get into it and actually start doing it. I was going to say, it sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. And I think, you know, early in my career there, you know, just learning about the different processes and things related to rivers and hydraulic modeling and all that stuff. It was interesting. I mean, I love learning, so that was fun. But then once you get to a point where you're kind of, you know, you know what you're doing and you're in the daily grind and, you know, it's a, it's a W2, it's the proverbial nine to five where you're sitting there and behind a computer and you got to not, technically punch in and punch out but you know what i mean it's a, you're mm-hmm. just working for somebody else and and there's sure. a very tight box that you're placed into and a ceiling that's right here and it's uh i don't know man it, for me it was kind of soul-sucking i know that's a that's a lot but it, it really was it was, <laughs> it was depressing and i hated it and so i moved but i found out that through that i used that you know we have these design projects and we'd get done designing something and these cities municipalities would want someone one of the engineers involved in like the construction aspect of it right just to make sure things get built right and answer questions when things come up and um so i gave that a try just at first honestly just to get out of the office i was like cool i'll get out on a construction site every once in a while at least i'll get out from behind the computer um and i I really started to like it and i found that i had a knack for it as far as just being able to solve problems on the fly and, and deal with a lot of uh you know interesting personalities and in, in trying to attack problems rationally. I just happened to have a knack for it. So I moved into that more construction role. And then I took that kind of a step further when I got into the real estate thing. And it was like, well, how could I even, you know, how can I really learn more about development specifically and things of that nature? So now what I'm doing is I'm kind of working as a, as an owner's representative for some developers in the Denver area. And uh, so we manage their projects. They hire us to manage their projects right from the, from the planning phase through the construction phase. So just kind of getting, learning a lot and, uh, you know, making some money while I scale up my real estate business on the side. There you go. Okay. So now you started doing those, those fix and flips, those live in fix and flips, right? So, um, what, what was the next step after that? Well, the next step was kind of a, a gap really, or, well, it, it just took a while, right? Cause I lived in those for, I think the first one we lived in for about two and a half or three years. Um, and then the second one we lived in for right exactly two years. And, you know, the two year mark was just so we could avoid paying capital gains on the gains once we were in there for two years. Um, and then there was a little gap where we were just trying to figure stuff out, um, not knowing what I wanted to do. And that's when I, I, that's when I kind of stumbled into bigger pockets and went through that big learning phase. And I, you know, like I said, I, I enjoy learning. Um, and so I, I had no problem diving in and just reading a ton of books and listening to podcasts and really like, as you guys know, there's so many ways to make money in real estate, right? Is it, Absolutely. Do I want to go into wholesaling. Do I want to flip houses? Do I want to burr? Do I want to get into multifamily syndication? I mean, there's, there's so many different things. And I kind of went, 
at least learning from a learning perspective, I went down a lot of those rabbit holes, mm-hmm. just trying to figure out what the heck it is I wanted to do. So it, it took a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can relate to that super hard. I mean, just like you said, there's so many different avenues and you listen to a new podcast, you know, every day and somebody has this, this new great idea, whether it's, you know, short-term rentals or self-storage or flipping or whatever that looks like. Right. So, you know, they, on the bigger pockets podcast, they call it shiny object syndrome for the longest yeah. time. I, I absolutely had that. So I uh, definitely had to just pick something and, and stick to it. And until I've figured out it doesn't work or it does. So um, that's kind of what we're looking at now. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I still fight that on a very regular basis. And I don't think it's all bad, right? I think right. exploring your options, you know, as long as you don't completely pull the plug on what you already have momentum in. Right. You now, if you can kind of just like spend a few minutes, like, huh, I wonder what, what's going on in that build to rent market. That seems mm-hmm. interesting. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with exploring that a little bit. So right, for sure. At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what does your portfolio look like today? So I started off investing. So I don't even know if we got into this, but I, I, all those rabbit holes, I kind of fell in love with the, the multifamily work oh. for many reasons. And so I just, you know, I, my first plan was to start buying duplexes, threeplexes, you know, things like that and scaling from there. But with my end goal being, you know, I really wanted to kind of replace my income and exit my W2 world, at least at that time, especially it was like, it's going to take a while to do that. So right or wrong, I decided to just go all in on multifamily. I knew I wanted to be in bigger multifamily eventually. And I thought, well, why not just, just dive right in and learn what I can. So so I took a different approach than a lot of people. I uh, I decided to just go all in with the education on the larger multifamily joint venture syndication type of stuff. Um, ended up joining a mentorship program, which was very helpful. Ended up starting off investing passively as a limited partner in two deals um, and kind of leveraging some of that to work my way into a general partnership team. Um, so we closed actually this past January, we closed on a a, a big boy, a 393 unit um, complex down in Alabama, wow. which, you know, I was a small part of, but it, w- it was nice. It was a great learning experience being part of the team, um, doing, helping with due diligence, raising capital, investor relations, asset management, not once we closed and all that good stuff. You know, we still have weekly asset management calls. It's been, it's been a great learning experience. Um, from there, took a while, you know, deals are tough to come by as I'm sure you guys know as well. So um, ended up closing, you know, in my second deal as a GP just last month with a 104 unit. Um, And so those are the only two properties I have on the general partnership side of my portfolio. Um, But yeah, we're just starting to crank. Uh, I'm working with some guys right now and we're, we've been underwriting deals like crazy, still trying to find something. Um, And we have, have a couple we're looking at right now. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping one of these deals comes through very soon. I'm hoping we can get something. I mean, it's probably too late in the year at this point to close this year, but right. mm-hmm. hoping we can definitely lock something in for Q1 of 2022. That's great, man. So the that uh, that mentorship group that you mentioned, was that by chance the uh, Think Multifamily group? It wasn't actually, it was but I, those were the people that I invested with uh, passively for my, well, on the second deal, I invested passively. And I partnered with a lot of Think Multifamily people for that first uh, deal I did in Alabama that I mentioned. So I just am not technically part of that group. I was part of another group. I met those guys. They were running actually a Think Multifamily um, meetup in Denver 
where I met a lot of people um, that were running that meetup and just show up every Saturday morning before COVID and just, just have breakfast and talk multifamily and, and just kind of continue those relationships, even when that all shut down. And and that's how it ended up working out for me. Interesting. The reason I ask is because I I saw on your Instagram somewhere that you, you had a a think multifamily cup. So I didn't know if (laughs) that was anything related to that, but uh, we just got back from a, the the fire summit this weekend and we, so it, we thought it was pretty cool and got to meet oh. quite a few people uh cool. yeah i haven't signed up but uh met a few different um few different people that were super interesting so definitely worth the money to head out there to dallas but uh but yeah just curious okay so that's awesome. that, yeah yeah it was a good time man uh so the alabama deal so how long from when you joined your your investor group that mentorship group to the gp on that alabama deal what was the timeline like for that? You know, it was, it was probably a year. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah, barely over a year. Cause I think I joined in December of 19 and then we closed in on that in very beginning of 2021. Um, you know, and you could probably, <laughs> if I wanted to, I could probably make excuses and COVID <laughs> this and COVID that. But, uh, you know, I think part of that is, you know, we, I, I was actually part of a team and we had something under contract in April of 2020 and uh, you know, things lender pulled out, you know, it's just that, that time when COVID kind of shut things down. And um, unfortunately, instead of just letting it fall off my back and just keep grinding, I I probably pumped the brakes a little bit. I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, if lenders are pulling out, I'll just, you know, and I have a W2, I'll just go back to work. And yeah. I, I took my foot off the gas a little more than I should have, to be honest with you. So that's a lesson to everybody out there. Don't uh, let a little <laughs> pandemic yeah. shut you down for making progress on your goals here. Yeah, so. absolutely. There you go. I, yeah. I tell you what, if, if, you know, if, if God forbid that ever happened again, I definitely would have, you know, hunkered down a little more and use that time to be a little bit smarter rather than scrolling through TikTok and you know, <laughs> hitting golf balls in the house and stuff. But yeah. But yeah. So we are where we are, right guys? That's right. Everything happens for a reason, right? For that uh, Alabama deal, did you do any money raised for it or yeah. How did you get in on the general partnership? Was it, was it through uh, raising capital? Yeah. Raising capital and some other tasks as well. And then, you know, like I said, uh, helping out with asset management and a a little bit of the due diligence during that period, but yes, capital raising was definitely a big component of it. Gotcha. Okay. So how did you, how did you go about raising the capital? Did you use your friends and family? Did you have to go and, you know, market on LinkedIn or how'd you go about that? Yeah. So it was a 506B deal. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. So it wasn't one that we could just advertise it. Right. Mm-hmm. People that were existing relationships. Fortunately, I, you know, I had been, you know, like I said, I did kind of have that long ta- time gap from when I joined that mentorship program to when we were actually raising capital. Cause we, like I said, we closed in January of 21 probably started raising capital though in like i don't know november december of of Mm -hmm. 2020 so um but so anyway i had that time period where i was not only talking to friends and family but trying to get things out of there you know looking back i wasn't as diligent as i should have been as far as following up with people and you know posting on social media and finding other ways to really build that network so i mean but to some extent, that's what I was doing. So I, I had that. I had somewhat of a an in- investor database built up already that I could I could talk to, and um, 
I felt really strongly about the deal. So it was easy for me to talk about mm-hmm. the deal. I still love the deal. You know, it's of course had its hiccups like everything else, but it's, sure, uh, sure. it's, it's a solid one. So, um, so anyway, I, I think just coming at it with a, a confidence in what you're doing, like I obviously I'd recommend <laughs> not <laughs> even trying to raise capital for any deal you didn't absolutely love and you didn't want right. to invest in yourself. Right. Cause that's just, it just makes it a little easier to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's one of the things we talked about at a lot of this, uh, that multifamily, the fire summit conference this weekend, we met so many people that got into doing these big deals through general partnerships where they were strictly raising money. Um, so that was obviously super valuable. It builds their credibility. Um, but obviously it's, it's not super easy, right? So do you have any tips and tricks to, you know, prepping the family for that kind of conversation? I mean, it, it's, it seems kind of awkward to go straight into, Hey grandma, do you have, you know, an extra $50,000 laying around? Right. Or do you, do you kind of draw that out a little bit? You start stoking the fires, you know, um, any, any tips along that sort of thing? Well, it, I don't, I definitely don't have any silver magic bullet for you, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely takes time. You know, I'd start those conversations early and often it's, it, it's great to get in the habit of talking about what you're doing with everybody. Mm-hmm. So absolutely talk to your grandma and talk to friends and family. But also remember that a lot of your friends and family probably aren't your ideal investor, right? Hopefully you, you've, you've kind of built an avatar of what that investor might look like. And, and yes, definitely, like I said, talk to your friends and family, but also find ways where you can get in front of that ideal investor, whatever that may be, you know, some high net worth individuals. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've found it nice if you can find some really, um, high performing real estate agents, you know, people that already love real estate, they're making a lot of money and they pay a lot of taxes and they need somewhere to, you know, not, not only need a tax shelter, but want to invest themselves in real estate, Mm -hmm. but they don't have time outside of their job to do it. So that's a, that's a hack for you. I've, I've kind of found that niche to be be useful. So uh, how was that first deal found? Was it through a broker or? It was. Yeah, it was. And I didn't, I'm not the one that found it. Like I said, I just kind of joined their team, but um, it was broker relationships. Absolutely. And then same thing for your second uh, general partnership. The second one was interesting. We actually found it on LoopNet um, where deals go to die. It was a funny situation. It was this, this guy was a developer and it's actually, it was just built in 2019 um, and the developer built these 104 units, kind of filled them up as quickly as he could, refinanced and wanted to get rid of it. He wasn't a, necessarily a buy and hold investor look, looking to do it really. Uh, and when he sold it, his his son happens to be a broker, but a broker in a completely different market and in a completely different asset class. He was a he was more of an office broker mm-hmm. in New York City. And this was a this was a multifamily deal in Louisville, Kentucky. So I don't think he had the um, investor base and relationships there to really market it like a, a typical mm-hmm. apartment broker would. So I think he just kind of threw it on LoopNet and it sat there for a little while. And there was a little competition. Um, in fact, I think someone else technically had it under contract and then they tried to retrade and and then they came back to us and um, and then we were able to bargain a little bit from there. But then mm-hmm. then we got it under contract. Okay. So now is on LoopNet, is this one of the, the deals that somebody else, one of the other GPs found? 
trying to think of how, yes, yes, she found it. So me and one of the other members of the GP were looking at, at another deal and we were just doing a zoom call one Saturday or something like that. And whatever pro- the property we were actually looking at, we we're like, ah, we, we just came across some red flags and, and she was like, yeah, let's pull up loop net, see what else is there. And then she kind of found it right there. And we just happened to, we called the broker right on the spot and started that conversation. <laughs> really? Started, okay. Started underwriting it and, and got them the initial offer within, yeah, pretty quickly within a few days. Yeah. That's so that, I mean, that's a strategy that people talk about all the time on all the, the big podcasts and whatnot, you know, the, you know, look on LoopNet and then talk to the broker. And, you know, usually there's, there's a reason it's on LoopNet. So it's always so discouraging to go and to look at all these deals and figure out like, you know, looking at them and trying to figure out what went wrong or why are you here? You know, why has this been on the market for 140 days? So um, what, how, how much under market did or under asking did you guys um, throw at the broker? Oh God, that's a good question. I wish I could tell you it's that one was actually a while ago that it was actually listed. It wasn't too much under though. I want to say, mm-hmm. Oh man, maybe. Maybe 10%. Okay. Not even 10%. No, it wasn't even 10%. It was less than that. I want to say it was, it was asking was probably 12, three. And I think we got for 12, one. Okay. So what do you think the the problem, like, why didn't it go before it got to LoopNet? Is it just, you think it was, it was, overpriced? I think he put it on LoopNet from the start personally. Oh, I think, really? You yeah, think I think he, he just there. threw it on there because he didn't know what else to do. Huh. And how long did you say it was on there before, uh, before you guys swooped it? It wasn't that long. I don't remember the exact days, but it wasn't, I mean, it was less than 30 days for sure. I mean, it might've been a couple of weeks before we, well, at least before we put the offer in, I mean, it right. took a while because it went kind of back and forth and went under contract with someone else and then came back. And so it took a <laughs> while till we got to the, the closing table, but, uh, but yeah, we, it wasn't on loop net for very long before mm. it was, there was action. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so kind of getting into the next segment of the show, we tried this out for the first time yesterday, and I think it worked pretty well with Brock. Uh, we call this one questions from a cup. So I'm going right. to pull some uh, three questions from this here mug and just answer them to the best of your ability. Uh, and then Austin, right. I'll, let, I'll let you take over the next segment. All right. All right. Well, that one's the same one we asked it yesterday. Nobody's going to believe that there's other questions in here. <laughs> That's the same one, too. Oh, my gosh. I swear there's more than three questions in this cup. Okay. Um, so what type of real estate do you not want to get into? Wholesaling. Wholesaling? I, I, wholesaling does not appeal to me. Not interesting. No. How come? I was sure it's very interesting. It just, I don't think it fit my skill set. Not interesting. Hmm. Gotcha. Very cool. All righty. So, what is, what is your real estate pet peeve? My pet peeve. Yeah. Do you have a real estate pet peeve? Well, I don't know if this really fits what you're looking for, but when brokers just kind of blow you off, you know, you call a broker for the first time and it's, you know, it's for whatever reason, something doesn't click and uh, you just don't get responses from them. And it happens with, you know, when you're starting out, especially, but even, even down the road a little bit, it happens. Yeah. That's, and that's I know good, that very well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We do. So, um, I mean, you've, you've been a GP on now two deals. Do you feel that brokers respect you anymore? Is it any, easier to get a hold of them and get you to take, take you serious or maybe a little bit. Um, but I also feel like a lot of times, 
you know, you start having these conversations and, you know, how many deals you have, if that even comes up, it, it comes up throughout down the conversation when they've probably already made their initial opinion for whatever reason. So I don't know. I don't know that it helps me a ton. It, it doesn't hurt. That's for sure. It definitely gives me a little more confidence when I talk to them. So that's right. Absolutely. So do you, do you find that they often ask for proof of funds or or how do those conversations usually go? Mm, I don't get proof of funds specifically that often. I have once or twice, but a lot of times it's just like, okay, who's, who's on your team? What does your portfolio look like? You know, what kind of capital are you looking to deploy? You know, things like that, where you can tell they're trying to, understand if you're real but right. uh, hmm. not specifically asking for proof of funds no gotcha yeah michael blanc in his um financial freedom book mentions you know this this formula for reaching out to brokers and he says if you just you know act confident and know what you're talking about then they they won't ask any of those questions but i feel like that that's true to some extent but they're still gonna you know they have hmm. to poke around they don't want to waste their time right so um, yeah that makes sense all right. Third and final question, Adam, you're doing great. Um, who is your real estate idol? My real estate idol. Oh yeah. man. I don't know that I have a real estate idol. A real estate idol. I mean, there's a ton of guys, I guess. And I'm, I'm trying to think, I kind of want to do my own thing. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. like I want to use multifamily syndication as I'm doing it as a tool. And I love doing that, but I'm also really interested in, in getting into some development, you know, kind of leverage, like I said, what I'm doing in my W2 job and, and get into development that way. So it would be someone that's kind of dabbled in a lot of different worlds and been successful in a lot of them. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sure there's somebody or just everybody I'd look up to in real estate. No, I, mean, I think that's an equally good answer. So that, that raises another good question. What are your what are your goals for the next three to five years? Like, where are you looking to go? Are you focusing on, you know, being a GP on these deals and getting a sliver of equity? Or are you trying to, you know, be the lead GP and sourcing these deals or? Absolutely. That's my focus is sourcing the deals. You know, like I said, I've joined a couple of teams. I've got some great mentorship. Not that, not that of course, you know, whatever happens, I, at least for the next few as well, I'd be looking for, um, you know, people to partner with that are, more experienced than myself probably too just to have that on the team because why not but yeah my my goal right now is finding deals so we're i'm underwriting a ton of deals talking to brokers trying to source deals um talking about starting a direct to seller campaign haven't haven't pulled the trigger on that one yet but uh but yeah sourcing deals and kind of be that lead sponsor that's my goal here and how so does hey, it, uh, i'm sorry go ahead austin you mentioned uh the mentorship uh do you think it is worth it? Would you go back and do it again kind of thing or? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think mentorship is great. I think, I think if you can find something organic, you know, if you, if you can go to local meetups and just mm-hmm. find somebody that is experienced, that needs your help or is just willing to let you help, then that's beautiful. But you know, those are hard to find. So yeah, I think, right. I think finding the correct paid mentorship and, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm specifically saying that on purpose. I think it's, you know, vet everything out, talk yeah. to a bunch of them, make sure that what you're looking for fits what they're doing. I think it's, I think it's a great thing. Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. Okay. Austin, you want to get into uh, the mulligan section? Yeah. So the next segment, uh, I guess we can start off with the question. Number one, 
so basically in all of your investment career, what was your mulligan? What was the one thing that you wish you could just redo? What would I redo? Um, or do differently, I guess. Or, yeah. you know, or do differently. You know, yeah, redo is kind of a hard core. That's tough. I mean, other than, you know, what I kind of mentioned earlier, just keeping my foot on the gas and working mm-hmm. harder during those times when I, I just kind of pulled the plug for a little while. You know, I, I think I, like a lot of people, fall, fell into that, you know, analysis paralysis type of thing where we're just sitting there and not feeling confident or worthy to go ahead and make those phone calls. So I, I would have just started earlier, just take the action. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's fine. You're going to talk to your first, you're going to have your first few calls with brokers and property managers, and you're going to sound like you don't know what you're talking about because <laughs> you don't know what you're yeah. talking about and it's okay, but you got to just have those conversations because they help illuminate what you're supposed to know what you're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so that's, I get, I don't know that that really answers your question. I'm sorry, guys, but that's what I, that's what I would do is just, just go harder and take action sooner. Um, All right. yeah, I think that's what I go with. That's strange. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I guess we could kind of put in, you talked about what you learned from that mistake. Uh, so I guess one last piece to this uh, se- segment, uh, what's one piece of advice you would give to the audience? Give to the audience. Well, my mind just went to take action again. I know I just said that, but it's, I think it's just so important because it's yeah. like, you know, it's the whole uh, ready fire aim mentality, right? Just don't, yeah. don't sit around on your hands. Just, just do it and you're going to do it wrong maybe, but that's okay. It's better to take imperfect action than to just do nothing perfectly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So So would you recommend people getting into it the same way you did, you know, with the smaller stuff and then leaning into a mentorship or would you say people should, you know, get in and go big or go home? I think there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, you know, I myself go back and forth looking back and, you know, I, I kind of tried to, you know, other than the live in flips thing, I just kind of tried to go big or go home mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and, you know, maybe I, I definitely wonder, and it doesn't really matter. I am where I am. I'm fine where I am, but, but, you know, I, I was putting offers in on some smaller stuff, some duplexes, threeplexes, fourplexes, and, and, you know, that's a great way to go too. And that's, probably an easier way to just actually get your foot in and actually start gaining credibility and having deals. Now buying a duplex and doing a burr on it, isn't really teaching you how to be an apartment syndicator, which was one of the reasons why I was like, well, maybe I'll just go straight into what I want to do. However, it, it is a good way to start building cash flow. And, you know, I just look at mm-hmm. back and like, if I would have started buying duplexes in, you know, twenty. 16 they'd probably all be worth double what i bet <laughs> but uh i guess my point is there's no right or wrong way to do it you just gotta find what fits best for you what you feel is in alignment with yourself and just just go for it awesome awesome well uh adam i know that you got some some little children that you need to put to bed and you got things to do it's pretty late where you are uh so we're gonna go ahead and ask the final two questions so Okay. Uh, number one, what is the one thing you would like people to know about you that we didn't have the chance to discuss today? Whether that's a, you know, an interesting hobby, a, a cool, a cool fact about yourself that um, we didn't go over. Well, we didn't really talk about it, but I, I am married and I have two awesome boys, uh, Nolan and Clay. They are seven and four now, and they are wild and crazy. And um, 
you know, I'm going to be honest with you, you used to have a ton of hobbies, but right now I'm just kind of bringing my kids to their sports and their hobbies mm-hmm. and, and then doing real estate on the side. So that's kind of keeping me occupied. That's for sure. Very cool. What were your hobbies pre-children? A lot of sports. I mean, growing up, I played a ton of sports, um, but even just like directly, let's say before the deep dive into real estate, played a lot of softball, golf, um, occasional volleyball or things like that, but played Mm -hmm. a lot of softball. Nice. Very cool. Austin, you want to take the last question? Yep. So uh, we like to always ask this one, where can people find out more about you? Sure. You can... Go to my website. It's goldribboninvestments.com. Um, I don't know if you guys want to throw that in the show notes or whatever have you, oh, yeah. but feel free to email me at adam at goldribboninvestments.com. Or if you want to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, I'm, I'm there. Reach out, send me a message. If you want to chat, I'd love to talk. Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it. We know that you definitely had to sacrifice some of your family time and some sleep, which I know is valuable as a father. Um, So thank you so much for being on. This was great. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, you, everyone, for listening to the show. We hope you gained something from today's episode and put it into action right away. Please make sure to share, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram and TikTok at mulligans underscore underscore. This helps us to grow and share more great stories. My name is Austin Cole. I'm Hayden Wright. Signing Signing off. off.